Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. As always, I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and again with me this morning, I have Pastor John, and we're going to continue our way through the doctrines of grace. Uh, For the last three weeks, we've been working through them, and uh, today we will continue down that path, and next week as well. Um, but as we've been going through the doctrines of grace, there's one, one theme that seems to stand out and that is that I contribute nothing to my salvation. God does all the work. He gets all the glory. Um, so praise God. And so John, how is this, how is this fact seen in the fourth point of irresistible grace? Yeah. Okay. It's a good way to begin the discussion here this morning, Jeremy. I, I'm thinking about, okay. God, you said God does the work and he gets the glory, and I think that's a very important part. So, um, like if you're at the, at the ocean and you build a sandcastle, everybody comes by, that's Jeremy's sandcastle. He built it. It's pretty cool. I still do that, by the way. Yeah, and, and you get the glory, not Charlie. <laughs> yeah. uh, he sits there and slobbers and whatever he does. But, uh, no, you, you get the glory for the things you make, the things you do. And it's, and it's even more important in the area of our salvation. You know, uh, the idea of um, unconditional election, it's easy to see how God is solely responsible for our election. He was the only one around when the electing took place. So there's, we can't participate in that, mm-hmm. obviously. So he gets the glory. And then we come now here to this irresistible grace and... Same questions asked, you know, how does the doctrine of irresistible grace give God glory? Well, if there weren't this irresistible grace, no one would come. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that, that God has a approach to our need of salvation through the channel of this grace that converts the soul means he is the only one who gets the glory for that activity. It's, it's a monergistic approach to salvation versus a synergistic approach to salvation. We, we, we are not cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our salvation. We do cooperate with him in our sanctification, our becoming like Jesus. But when it comes to saving faith, this particular doctrine, irresistible grace, demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt like similarly like like unconditional election does we're not involved if it were left to us we would remain away from christ committed to our own agenda and in our own sin and not experience the, the goodness of god in his work in christ for us but the fact that there is this truth found in scripture of grace that is irresistible to god's people um again, demonstrates that God gets the glory for our salvation because he's the one who does it. Hmm. If he's not active in our reception of grace, we will not receive it. Okay, so let me let me just make a few comments about this particular doctrine, and then we can dive into it, okay? So James Boyce <clears throat> said in his book, uh, The Doctrines of Grace, the following, Unconditional election is the work of God, the Father, Particular redemption, which we, we the, you know, tulip is limited atonement. Particular redemption is the work of Jesus Christ. He died for specific people. And the second person, who is the second person in the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, who is the third member of the Trinity, boy says, 
efficaciously oversees the gracious work of God to apply the benefits of Christ's work to those elect people who mm. Jesus redeemed. Wow. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved, obviously, in our conversion, our, our, our salvation. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is at the forefront of this particular doctrine of irresistible grace. The TULIP acronym, as we're familiar with, total depravity, unlimited, uh, or unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, is, uh, again, uh, using a term for irresistible grace that's a little bit unfortunate. Um, I think a better way to call it, a better thing to call it, might be like efficacious grace, effective grace. It, it communicates more accurately, I think, <clears throat> than the the typical irresistible grace, you know, name. Um, so this is this is I think another way to think about it. Efficacious grace. It's it's more clear. It's more accurate. Describes the work of the Holy Spirit, doing His role in our salvation. Um, the grace that the Father had foreordained for us to experience, the Son secured that that grace on the cross through his work, and that is effectively applied by the Holy Spirit to God's people. Mm. Um, what this means is that when God calls us to faith in Jesus Christ, his call is effective. If God calls, we come. The Holy Spirit regenerates us in that call, giving us a new nature, which responds obediently to God's call. After his efficacious work of grace takes place, the gospel begins to sound good to us. The reason that you like the sound of the gospel, the reason that any Christian likes the sound of the gospel is because the Holy Spirit has done an effective work in our hearts. He's changed our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, from a heart that's resistant to God to that's receptive to God. Yeah. So this is the, the doctrine of irresistible grace or efficacious grace. It, it makes us make sense of repentance. It, repentance makes good sense to me now, and I know why I should repent. The grace of God looks good to me. The gospel sounds good to me. Um, a desire to follow Jesus anywhere um, at all times is something that makes sense to us now. Why? Because of the effective work of the Holy Spirit in our souls, in our hearts and minds. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 9, is really uh, a powerful passage when it relates to irresistible grace or efficacious grace. And I want to read it for you. Paul said this, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, not sleeping. Dead, not sick. Dead. Dead, dead, dead. Dead, dead. <laughs> he says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. So it's clear from 
that passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were spiritually dead. We had no ability to respond to the gospel. We had no ability to please God in and of ourselves, at least salvifically. Uh, And it took a work of God, in fact, the Holy Spirit of God, to regenerate our hearts, regenerate our souls, so that we came to life spiritually. And this is uh, what irresistible grace is all about. You know, John, as you were reading that from Ephesians 2, uh, it, it made me think of the importance of, you know, the doctrine of, of Scripture, right? We, we, I think it's easy for us to come into Scripture saying, well, this is how I think God should be, or this is how God should do things, right? But when you read passages like that, it, 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 it reveals so much about who God is and his, in his nature. Right. Um, well, it says in love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in love he did it. So God's a loving God. Yeah. Um, he cares for us, you know, and, and does this work that without him would not happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So I think the inevitable question when we come into, uh, this, this particular point of irresistible grace is what do we do about the people that seem to have saving faith and they're, they're walking with the Lord and, and then all of a sudden they run away. They turn their back. They, they no longer believe. I mean, did they resist God's grace or was God's grace not effective? Yeah. So that's one of the, the uh, reasons it's better to call this efficacious grace. Mm-hmm instead of irresistible grace. Because obviously, you know, by definition, God's grace can be resisted. There's millions of people who've resisted it. Um, But when we name it more accurately, efficacious grace, it helps clear the air a little bit. But, you know, in, in terms of the effectiveness of the grace of God on his people, on those who will receive Christ who will come to faith Jesus commented on in John 6 he said in verse 37 all that the father gives me will come to me not may um, you know it says all will Jesus said all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out verse 39 Uh, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. So the Father has, in his wisdom, um, elect certain people to salvation, and then he gives those to the Son. All right, this is is a divine reality. Um, The Father gives the Son a love gift in the form of people who will worship and praise him forever, and those he gives will come. And so we get, now we come into time where we live and we're going along our merry, personal, selfish way. And all of a sudden we, we come to realization of our sin. All of a sudden we come to an understanding of the gospel and our need for Christ. And then we come to faith. And it's like, why did that happen? Why is it that you, Jeremy, understand the gospel? You understand your need. You understand your sin. And you come to Jesus and your neighbor doesn't. You've both heard the story. You both have the same access to the gospel. Why did you respond and your neighbor not? And the answer is efficacious grace. 
God did something in your soul. He regenerated your heart. He gave you a new heart that was receptive instead of resistant to the gospel. And so there is the, the truth that God, when God does a work, he accomplishes it. He gets it done. What our God is in the heaven, he does everything he pleases. He, he never has a plan that goes sideways. And if he's determined to save you and me before the beginning of time, guess what? In time, we will come. And we come because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So what do we say about these people who seem to have come, but then no longer are walking with Christ? And it could be that they're maybe going through a season of, you know, selfishness or, or carnality or, or whatever you want to call it, sin. We can call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we say about them? And... Um, uh, well, the answer, I think, you know, Jesus covered in the parable of the sower. You know, some of the seed, he said, the farmer threw in the ground, some of the seed hit rocky soil and didn't even, you know, germinate. Some seed fell into shallow soil, mm-hmm. and it sprouted up with all sorts of enthusiasm. But then when the dry winds came and hot heat came out, they faded and died. That's the type of person Jesus was describing, someone who maybe came to church, who heard the gospel, who who liked the environment for whatever reason, joined, you know, professed Christ. Mm-hmm. But when the heat of the day came, when the scorching weather showed up, that proved that their faith wasn't originated in God. Mm. It was something of their own doing. And so they dried up and blew away. Mm. Just like you know, we all know people like that. They, they have a profession of faith. They... They, they come running into the church offering to do all sorts of things and be part of everything that's going on. And then six months later, you look around and they're not there. What happened? Well, unless they found another church that's, that they're growing in, they're the type of people that Jesus was talking about in his parable. Mm. It's, it's the way we would explain those who, you know, quote unquote, come to faith but then fade off. They really never experienced the grace of God. They might have experienced the the joy of Christian fellowship. They may have experienced friendship from Christians. They may have experienced some warm feeling that came over them when they were singing, just as I am. Um, But they never had the experience of God's grace. And so if it's man-made, it's going to fail when hard times come. And that's what we see. So, yeah. So so we live in a culture... uh, today where the church has altar calls. Is there a danger in that? Uh, if we're talking about the efficacious grace of, of God, is there a danger in, in altar calls? Well, uh, yes and no. Let me, let me see if I can explain that to you. Uh, the danger of altar calls, in my opinion, is that they could mislead someone into believing that they know Jesus. Because a lot of time, I, I've heard it here in this town, Recently, if you pray this prayer, if you will come forward, you're going to be in heaven. Mm. You'll have your sins forgiven. And so who doesn't want to be in heaven? Who doesn't want their sins forgiven? Who doesn't want to rid themselves of the guilt they have for the things they've done? We all do. And so I pray that prayer that you mentioned. I come forward to the altar that you mentioned. And then I walk away, and a week later I'm like, well, that didn't work. (laughs) So there's a danger in inoculating people you know, from a clear understanding of the gospel. Now, but since we believe in, you know, unconditional election and all the other doctrines of grace, 
we can't keep people out of heaven no matter how badly we screw up the offer of mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. We cannot keep anyone out of heaven yeah. or out of the grace of God. If God is going to save them, if that's in his plan, I could totally mislead them with my presentation of the gospel, which might be totally erroneous, and it's not going to keep them from heaven. Mm. It just interrupts things and and maybe makes them think for a while that they're saved. The, 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 the dangerous thing, if there is danger in an altar call, is it gets people thinking that they're Christians when they're not. Mm. Um the the, the the reason it may not be a danger is because, you know, people many people have been saved yeah. <laughs> in that setting and come to faith and understood their call. So um uh yeah, so let me let me explain a little bit about this whole idea of a call. You said altar call. There this this is part of this discussion because in irresistible grace you're being called by God to come to him. Right? It's, a, it's an irresistible call um, in, in the truest sense. So what is it when, when Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest? What's happening when the apostles in, in Acts chapter uh, 2 verses 9 through 11 call for the repentance of sin and, and call people to come to faith in Jesus Christ? Let me read for you the call. Um, so this is Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed, and, Jesus, and Peter said, Come and believe. Come to Christ and believe. Mm. So in Acts chapter 2 here, there is a call from the apostle Peter to come to Jesus and believe. Confess your sins. Ask for forgiveness from God. So there's that general call that goes out to everybody. It's universal. It's an invitation to come to Jesus. Hearing that isn't the irresistible call. The irresistible call is something you can't hear audibly. It's something that takes place internally by the Holy Spirit. Mm. That's the specific call, the the efficacious call. Um, It's what Jesus did to Lazarus in John 11, verse 43. He didn't give a general call. He didn't say, okay, all you dead folk, come out. No, he said, Lazarus, Mm. come forth. And you know the story. Yeah. Lazarus came forth. He, he didn't say, well, it's kind of comfortable in here. You know, I died once. So I want to do it again. Yeah. Uh, no, he came forth, wrapped in his grave clothes. Yeah. He came walking out of the tomb. Hey, before you go on, uh, Stephen Lawson made a great point on that, of specifically calling Lazarus. And he said that if he wouldn't have mentioned Lazarus and he would have just said, come forth... Everybody, everybody, would have, everybody would have. Yeah, who's Steve Lawson again? I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, that is a great point. Everybody would have come forth. Yeah. So obviously, it was a specific call to Lazarus, and this is the very same thing that happens to every true believer. Yeah. They receive that kind of call from the Holy Spirit, not audibly, spiritually. They, they are called from spiritual death, Ephesians 1, 
Ephesians 2, rather, verse 1, they're called from death to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is why the story of Lazarus is in John 11. It's why I think Jesus performed that miracle, is to demonstrate the necessity of God calling dead people to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what this doctrine is, irresistible grace, efficacious grace. It's, it's the work, the effective work of God in the hearts of people. So here's an, here are some examples of the specific call. First, First Corinthians one nine. Um, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he's saying, you know what? You Corinthians were called by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Paul was saying, I know you're believers. You were called by God. You weren't called by me, you weren't called by Peter, you were called by the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit calls, you're coming. Hmm. It's it's a God accomplishing his own purposes. You're coming. You know, and these these illustrations are all over the New Testament of this efficacious call um taking place. So Yeah. Yeah. So there is a a monergism, as you mentioned earlier, of uh, God doing the saving work yeah. in our lives. Is there a is there a synergism? Would you say in us uh, playing a part in in presenting the gospel? Yes. If that I'm, makes, I'm not if sure that makes what you're sense. asking. Keep going. So with that. you mentioned a general call and a specific call. So the question. I, I think has to come up is is why if God is doing the work if mm-hmm. God does the salvation, it, why do we have to present the gospel if he if he does it if there's going to be people that he chose from eternity past that will come to salvation, um, what what's the point of going out and saying you know telling people about Jesus? You know, Jeremy, that's a great question. That's so profound. In fact, I think we should just cancel this podcast right now and just. <laughs> Say, forget it. We're done. That's, yeah. that's it. No, the, the, the answer to that is, is um, found in quite a few places, but one more of the more popular places in Romans 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says this, Paul does, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The way that you come to faith, Jeremy, is by hearing God's word, the word of Christ. So I don't know about you. I have never heard the voice of God speak to me. Mm-hmm. Some people say they have. I have not. I know, I think, I know maybe just one, two, or three who say they've actually heard the voice of God audibly. Mm-hmm. But the most of the Christians I know have never heard the voice of God. And if the only way for us to be saved, according to Paul, faith comes from hearing. You're saved by grace through faith. He said in Ephesians 2 that I've already read. And if this faith comes from hearing the word of God, you have to hear the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The, you ask the question, why do we have to be involved for people to get saved? How else are they going to hear the Word of God? Mm-hmm. He, he says in this same chapter that, that the message comes through those who share the gospel. The reason that people come to faith, including you and me, is we've heard the Word of Christ. We've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to us. And so the reason that we have to go out and tell our friends and our neighbors about Jesus is because God uses means to save people. He just doesn't wave his divine wand over the 
planet and those who he's foreordained to come to him come. No, this is part of the reason we're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel Mm -hmm. because God uses the preaching of the word of God. God uses the teaching of the word of God. God uses the sharing of the word of God to bring people to himself. This is why when you're sharing your faith, you must get to the scriptures. There is no power in your story, in your testimony. Mm. There might be something that moves the soul. Oh man, what a transformation. That's awesome. I'd like to be like him. That's fine, but that doesn't change your heart. The only thing that can change your heart is the word of God. And so share your faith, but don't end with it. I mean, I, I should say share your testimony, but don't end with it. You've got to get to the scriptures. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So make sure they hear the Bible when you're sharing the gospel with people. It's not just, you know, God did this for me. It's God said this in John 3. Hmm. Paul said this in Romans 3. Hmm. And so read it, you know, read it again. My brother-in-law was a professional hockey player, and he was playing for the Los Angeles Kings and they're in a hotel someplace and his life was going nowhere. His, his, um, he did not have a relationship with God. He didn't know the gospel and he got into his hotel room and he opened the drawer and guess what was there? The Gideon Bible. Hmm. He began reading in Matthew that night and he continued reading that night until he got through the gospel of John Hmm. And before the end of the night was up, he had bowed the knee, Hmm. bent his knee beside his bed, and prayed to receive Christ. Hmm. And he, no one spoke to him. He read the word of Christ. Hmm. He heard it, and and the Holy Spirit used that in a powerful, regenerative way to save my brother-in-law's soul. Hmm. We have to use the word of God to save people. So I can wax eloquent on Sunday morning, but if I never get to the scriptures, there is zero power or worth in my talk. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same with all of us when we share our testimonies, when we talk to people about Jesus, it's get the word of God in there, friends, or you're wasting your breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit works through. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Pretty it amazing, is pretty amazing that God would use us who were totally depraved, right? And then he, he saves us, redeems us, and he uses those sinners to present the gospel to other sinners. He's been doing that for how long? <laughs> yeah. That's been his plan yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. That is, yeah that's he uses cool. us, you know. Paul said this. He goes, who's cut out for such a task? Yeah. You know, yeah. I can't believe that God uses me. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And and you parents out there, listen, you're the primary source, man. Uh, get the word of God into your little one's ears. Mm-hmm. Read the Bible to them every day. Um, read it to them at breakfast. Read it to them, you know, at, in the evening when you do your family time together. Read it to them before they go to bed and just let it wash over their souls. Yeah. And God will use that. Yeah. So that's the only thing he'll use, by the way, to save them. Yeah. He's not going to use some Christian biography, as great as those things are. He's not going to use someone's testimony as, even if they're a Hollywood star that's come to faith. Not, God's not going to use that to, to change the heart. He yeah. uses his word. Yeah. 
and we all have copies. Yeah. So. Well, you think about the ma- magician in, in Acts where he's trying to purchase yep. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And Peter says, let that perish with you. Yeah, kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, so why, John, should this doctrine be so sweet to us as Christians? Well, um, the same reason oxygen is sweet to us. How is it sweet to us? I, I don't get very much oxygen. Well, I, I knew that, especially at birth. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding, but uh, it, is, it is sweeter than oxygen. I mean, oxygen is just, just valuable for this life. Um, the, the gospel, you know, this, this particular doctrine of this gospel is eternal. The only reason that, that it's that you and I are saved, the only reason that we have experienced the forgiveness of sin and the freeing of guilt, the only interest we have a love for God and a desire to participate in his church, the only reason that you love the scriptures and that we you know, continue to grow in faith is because God pursues us. Mm. It's the only reason. Do you remember Lazarus was dead? You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And until the Holy Spirit grabs hold of our heart and says, come, we won't. And so this doctrine is so sweet to us, primarily because it's the only reason we come. Yeah. God, God is the hound of heaven. Hmm. He is chasing us down, and he won't stop until he gets the ones he's chosen. Hmm. And he does. He does it. He does it through the Word. This is why it's so important to get the Word out. You know, translate this stuff. Get it into the, all the languages of the world. Support translators. Support missionaries. Take this word. This could be your Christmas gift. Make sure you include a copy of John to, and with your plate of cookies to your neighbors at Christmas time. The word is what saves them. It's the, through the word that the Holy Spirit works this miracle of grace in the life of, of his people. And so the reason this is sweet is because we were born dead, and that because of this particular doctrine, God works in us personally and brings us to faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of works, so that no one would boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Faith is a gift, um, and this is a gift that God brings to us. Now, another thing, the reason this is so precious to me and to you is because God uses it to save us, and it's true for our children. Mm. The reason that this is so precious, no matter how rebellious your son is, or how you know off your daughter is, there is hope because of the irresistible grace of God. Mm. God, extend your grace to my kids. Oh, what a what a hope! Yeah. We can't convince them. Yeah, you can't convince. <laughs> Charlie, to come to faith, you know, Sawyer, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, only God can do that. Yeah. And so this is a precious truth to us. God, unless you move, I have no hope. My children have no hope. Yeah. So we pray for his mercy in the lives of our kids, the lives of our neighbors or coworkers. God must do it. Well, yeah, and, and I... I think of heaven, like how's there, how's there going to be joy in heaven knowing that I botched that, you know, 
conversation yeah. with yeah so and so yeah what are they thinking while they're in hell yeah man that stupid Jeremy yeah if he would have just said this a little more clearly yeah, yeah. yeah no we don't have to deal with that yeah salvation is of the Lord period yeah. it's not like he's dependent upon us <laughs> thankfully yeah. yeah it's God yeah it is because of him you are in Christ Jesus Paul said in the first chapter of Corinthians, verse 30. It's not because this evangelist was so powerfully communicating. Yeah. It's not because that little track you got was so clear and the, and the, and the artist was pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit yeah. extends his specific, effective call to me. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That is amazing truth. And I, I can't help but think of this passage from First John uh, 4. This is a passage we know well, a um, passage that we've read on this podcast a few times, but uh, a great reminder for us as we in uh, this episode. First uh, John 4.10, it says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. There's our hope that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, and that the spirit makes us alive with him. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.